0: And, uh, the Lord said some good things to us, and I want to read you a little from what he said on his way to Gethsemane. He had left with the disciples the upper room, was walking across what was then Mount Zion, or Mount Zion, walked into the, past the temple area, then out the golden gate, across the brook Kidron into Gethsemane. And on the way, he said these words in the 15th chapter of John. That's what he was talking about as they walked along. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. No one has greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friends. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. In that short paragraph, you will read the word love nine times. Nine times. Let's join our hands and hearts together as we pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you first loved us and that you gave us through the presence of your Spirit the capacity to respond to your love and to love you back. We thank you, dear God, for personifying, personalizing, epitomizing your love in a person, not just in a book or in a law or in a rule or a commandment, but in a flesh and blood person. We thank you for sending your Son Reveal to us your incomparable love. We pray for each other. The ones whose hands we hold, we pray. We pray for people whose hands we hold who are beyond this building. Figuratively, we hold up them in in our prayers with our hands of compassion and concern. We reach out to a whole hurting world. We pray for people everywhere who are worshiping you today irrespective of what denomination, what land, what language, whatever it might be, to all who call upon you today and worship you, we pray for them. And pray that all of us will be such witnesses in your world, that the world will come to know you, whom to know is life and joy and peace forever. For this is our prayer in the loving, life-giving, joy-filling name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. There was a professor that uh, taught in the university, and a man came up to him and said, uh, I I believe that, uh," called a young man's name, was a student of yours. And the professor said, uh, no, no, he was not. Uh, He attended my classes and listened to my lectures, but he was never a student. I wonder if the same thing can happen in the school of Christ. We listen to sermons and songs and Sunday school lessons. We even read the lesson. Are we disciples, followers? Are we connected to Jesus spiritually? Not just intellectually. Or culturally or religiously but do we have a spiritual connection with him does it surprise you that so many people that were alive and present when Jesus was here talked to him personally questioned him listened to him but never connected The religious leaders questioning him all the time and he giving answers that were not contrary to the law but fulfilling the law, showing the law of love that God came to reveal to us and that he came in person to finally reveal completely. Think of the rich young ruler. We don't know his name, but he talked to Jesus. He had a personal conversation with Jesus and Jesus gave him a personal invitation. But he dropped out of class. He was never a student. And then, the epitome of all, Judas. Think of it. Three years with him. Listening to him. Oh, we have so little of what he wrote in the Bible. If you take the New Testament or take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and put them all together and try to to determine how many days or portions of days they were referring to or writing about and you you will find liberally only about 60 days out of three and a half years of ministry we have no idea all the other many things that he said which is why john in his book said if everything jesus said and did were written down we couldn't contain the world couldn't contain the books but think of judas he was there to see miracle after miracle never a student never a disciple. Can that happen to us? We go to class, we come to church, we hear the scripture, we may read a devotional book. That's wonderful. All of those things are good. But Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've got to get a spiritual connection with me. And what I want to say in the next few moments is what I pray God will use to help each one of us connect and maybe reconnect or refresh our connection with Him or maybe some for the first time to make a commitment to Him and all of us here who are followers of His to be not just auditing the class but taking it for credit for our own spiritual growth. Turn to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke page 1034 in the Bible in the book rack there in front of you. And when you get to 1034, you will find the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. Excuse me, did I say John? 14th chapter of the gospel according to Luke. And I want to begin with the 25th verse. Jesus was walking along one day and a great crowd of people following him. Picture it. Here was Jesus walking along, striding along, and a great crowd of people surrounding him. And suddenly he turns and speaks to them and it is one of the most startling introductions to a sermon that anyone ever spoke or heard. He said, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone, now I need to stop there for a moment, and I'll circle that red in my Bible, those two words, if anyone, if anyone come to me, if anyone, I want you to know, if you don't know it, the inclusiveness of God the eternal love of God for anybody and everybody, irrespective of who they are, whether they're morally good or bad, whether they're educated or uneducated, whether they're from one land or another, one nation or another, one language or another, if anybody, he said, come to me, whosoever will, he said, may come. Listen to this. If anyone, you, you may be here today feeling like, man, I am so far away from God, or my life is so messed up, there's no way in the world that I can be reached by him or touched by him. Listen, he is speaking to you today and he's speaking through the music you've heard and the prayers that are prayed in this place and these feeble words that I'm trying to say. I didn't say this. He said, if anyone, anyone, that means you, that includes every one of us. The incredible inclusiveness of the love of God. If anyone, comes to me. Now he starts talking here to some of us who have been in class for a while maybe. Comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that word hate just jumps off the page, doesn't it? We tell our grandchildren, we told our children, as you've told yours I'm sure, we don't use the word hate. That's a bad four-letter word. And here that word is translated. You need to remember that this was translated in the King James in the 1600s. And to give you an example of how the English language has changed, what Jesus said has not changed. And I'll give you what Jesus said, what the word was that Jesus said in a moment. But let, I want you to notice the change in the English language that's occurred through the years, how words, even in English, have changed over a period of time. Uh, some of us, uh, we're standing in London and, and in St. Paul's Cathedral just uh, a few days ago, a week or so ago. And uh, we were told, of course, about Christopher Wren building St. Paul's Cathedral. It, along with thousands of homes in London, were destroyed in 1666 in a great fire. And Christopher Wren was commissioned to re- rebuild and remake and renew St. Paul's Cathedral, one of the great churches of the world along with about 20 other churches that he that he was the architect for uh, during those period that period of time. But when it was finished Queen Anne who was the reigning queen at that time came to the inauguration and the opening of St Paul's and here was Christopher Wren who had worked for 35 years to build St Paul's Cathedral and St Anne after she had looked at it she said these words it is Awful, artificial, amusing. And Christopher Wren bowed before her and said, Your Highness, I thank you for those wonderful, commendable, encouraging words. Now you see the English language has changed since Queen Anne said those words, just like it has changed since King James said some of those words. Those words originally meant, in in our vocabulary today, it is not awful, it is awesome. It is not artificial, it is artistic. It is not amusing, it is amazing. So the English language has evolved, and this word "hate," which you've taken literally, would, je- would have Jesus, in, in effect, <coughs> excuse me, contradicting the Ten Commandments. The word to honor father and mother, to respect them. What does the word mean? Well, it goes back to an Aramaic word. Jesus used a lot of Aramaic phrases, and the Aramaic word, the root of that word that Jesus used, means "love less." Love less. What he is saying is not that you're not to love mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, but you're to love them less than you love me. Certainly you're not to hate them in the present connotation and definition of that word, but what he is saying is that he must be first and you're to love me above all others love them yes love mother and father respect them love parents yes love children love one another husbands and wives love one another but love less love less than you love me And you know what happens you know why he's saying that that's not because he's some egotist wanting all of our love he knows that if we put him first in our lives our lives are going to be better our homes are going to be better I'll be a better father and a better grandfather and a better husband and you'll be a better wife. You'll be a better mother. We'll be better people if we put him first. If you put your family first, you're not realizing the fullest possible potential of all that God wants to do in your home. So what he is saying here is not something to just build his own ego. He is saying something that will build our own strength and our relationship with him and with one another. So that's what he means when he says, love less, don't love them less, but love me more than all of these, and my love for you and for my spirit in you will permeate through you and make your life different. Love one another with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. Now I'm going to say something that may startle you a little bit. Don't intend for it to, but I do want it to get your attention. Every one of us in this room is going to make a decision this morning. Everyone in this room is going to make a decision. If you are a believer, if you are a disciple, if you are a follower, if you are a student, when God's Word is sung, God's Word is preached, God's Word is is read, it is a call to us to recommit ourselves to the course of study that we have in Jesus Christ. We're not just to be here as spectators. We're to be here as participants, and God wants to do something fresh in our lives today, new in our lives today, to help us grow in this Christian course that we have enrolled in by putting our faith and trust in Him. So every one of us who've been Christians for years, some of us 50 or 60 years, we need to make a decision this morning. To say afresh and anew, Lord, I love you. And I pray that I will love you more. Then the more of my life will reflect you. And the more of, my, of your love will pour through me to other people. That something will happen to us today that will reconnect us. That we will feel again that warmth of God's spirit in our hearts. And we will leave here with a new commitment to him and a new love for others. And a new love for him and a new understanding of ourselves. So we're going to make a decision today. We're already making it. But if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've intended to, planned to, told others you will someday, let me urge you to make that decision today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You have a choice to make. You're going to have to say yes or no to Jesus Christ there is no third alternative. There is no neutrality. In fact, I believe neutrality is a very egregious, insidious form of uh, betrayal. To be neutral. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Yes or no? i will or i won't i do i don't the only two choices you and i have the only two choices the world has regarding jesus you've got to do something with this man however much or little you've heard about him you've got to do something with him there has to be a response, and there is a response. And I urge you today, if you've never publicly made your commitment to Him, never in your heart trusted Him and publicly committed yourself, as He said we were to do in, in, in following Him, and committing our lives publicly to Him, let me urge you to do it today. Listen, every one of us in this room is going to walk this aisle today, or this aisle, or this aisle, or that aisle. Everybody's going to make a decision and everyone is going to walk the aisle. You're either going to walk it this way or that way. You're either going to say, I will or I won't. I do or I don't a man come to me and not love me more than mother, father, wife, children, brothers and sisters. He can't be my disciple. And then he goes on to say and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus said a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you and no greater love hath any man than that he lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus says that we are to carry the cross, what is he talking about? Well, he's certainly not talking about his cross. He said, you take up your cross. No one can carry Jesus' cross but Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the plan of God from the beginning of time, He died alone, and He alone died for the sins of the whole world. You and I cannot carry His cross. You and I are not to try to duplicate His cross and walk in our own Via Dolorosa to try to expiate our sins, to try to absolve ourselves of our sins by suffering, by weeping, whatever it might be. No, he has done that. He's done it. He's done what no one else could do. And he's done it alone. He would do and did what only he could do. And what only only he did. He died for the sins of the whole world. He did not die to set a pattern for us in terms of, I, I want you to understand this, it's, I think it's very important. Uh, he did not die as an example. He didn't die as an example just as a good man and a moral teacher that's supposed to help other people and give your life to other people. He did not die as an example. Listen, he died as an accomplishment. It is finished, he said. It is finished. And people who come and say, well, Jesus is just a marvelous example, just a good teacher, and we're going to listen to his precepts and study them and that's what it means to be a christian no that's not what it means to be a christian if jesus is only a moral teacher if he's only an example tear this church down there is no good news for we cannot save ourselves we cannot forgive ourselves often we cannot redeem ourselves tear down all the basilicas and cathedrals and churches all over the world. There is no good news if Jesus Christ didn't die for all of our sins. Then what is he saying here? He is saying that we are to love one another. That's the cross we carry. What is the cross? It is I marked out. I marked out. I put Christ first in my life and I put love for others first in my life. That's the cross we carry. The cross not of suffering. Oh, yes. Certainly we have difficulties and we have burdens and we have problems and we talk about the cross that we bear and that's true. All of us have. Times in our lives, exigencies in our lives that upset us and stress us. Jesus is with us there. And you know why he can be with us there? It's because he carried all of our own problems, our own griefs, our own sorrows, our own loneliness. He carried all of that to the cross and died for it to give us life now. And so we now are to do what? We're to give our lives in service to other people. That's exactly what he was saying. His cross was for him, salvation for us witness witness and there is a cost involved in that and he says that in the next few next few verses suppose one of you wants to build a tower will you not first sit down and estimate the cost what does he mean cost talking about money no not primarily Although Jesus had a great deal to say about our relationship to earthly things material things He's not talking about that kind of cost you know what Jesus wants from us he doesn't want our money he doesn't want our time he doesn't want our talents he wants us he wants our hearts he wants our love for him and the love for others, exemplified by the cross. And when he has us, he'll have our money, and he'll have our time, and he'll have our talents. He'll have all of life. Albert Schweitzer was one of the greatest men ever that ever lived, I believe, in the Life magazine many, many years ago. Albert Schweitzer came to America, and his pictures were on the cover of Life magazine, and it said, the world's greatest man. wonder why he said that about Albert Schweitzer. Well, he had four earned doctor's degrees. He had a doctor of music degree, a doctor of philosophy degree, a doctor of theology, and a doctor of medicine. All four earned doctor's degrees. And you know what he did with all of that? He went to Africa, to a village called Lambrini, and spent the rest of his life as a missionary. And he was asked, why did you do that? Implying that he could have stayed in Europe or America and made a fortune teaching, lecturing, writing, practicing medicine. Think of all of the multiple various talents that belonged to him. And these are his words, and I quote, Why did you do this? He said this, It is time I started returning something to the stream that nourished me. That's why we give. It is time we start returning something to the stream that has nourished us. We're here because we've been nourished by the grace and love of God. And what does He want us to do? To love one another. That's the cross. Get ourselves out of the way so He can use us in a world that will bring people to hope and happiness and fulfillment, meaning. And then a final word. Jesus does give a call. He gives an invitation. He says in a little sentence, at the conclusion, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know who he's speaking to this morning. I do not know what's going on in your own heart and life but I pray you will listen to him. You have ears, you have these ears, you're hearing me but something much more important, infinitely more important than hearing me is hearing with the ears of your heart. Come follow me, he said, and I will give you life. So I hope you have ears to hear this morning. We'll trust him, acknowledge him, make the decision he would have you make, whatever it might be. A couple of weeks ago, our group in Israel sat on the steps that have recently been excavated, the steps that led up to the southern entrance of the temple in Jesus' day. And these were the very stones upon which Jesus and the disciples walked into the temple and out of the temple. They've they've reduced it. They've taken back all of the rubble from around it and you have these magnificent steps coming down. Jesus' mother and earthly father carried him up to the temple after he'd been born. It was a time for his dedication. Those are the steps that he walked up to cleanse the temple. Those were the steps that he walked down after as a boy going back and forth on those feast days at the temple. We don't know how many times he was in Jerusalem, but every time he went, he went up those steps and came down. We sat there. We had our picture made sitting on those steps. And our guide, a Jewish guide, told us this story that happened not very long ago. A guide was there escorting. Neil Armstrong, who had recently become a Christian. And Neil Armstrong stood there on those steps, those very steps that we know Jesus had walked up and down. He stood there and he began to cry. And he said this, it is more meaningful to me to stand on these steps than to have stood on the moon. There's nothing more meaningful in your life or in mine when we finally say, I'm going to take that step to follow him. Do it today.